We finished last week our series in the book of Hebrews, and today we're starting a short series for four weeks about the praise of Christmas. In all reality, in our world today, people lose sight of what this time of year is supposed to be about. Now, I know there are many skeptics out there that say, was he born in December? I wasn't there, so I don't know. I haven't seen the birth certificate to see the exact date. And so some like to say it was April in that time. Maybe it was September. This is what, I don't care if it was any of the 12 months. The fact is Jesus came. That's what we celebrate. Say, but pastor, there are pagan roots. Do you know in almost everything there are pagan roots to something, right? So let's just put Jesus in the forefront of everything that we do. And as a believer, he shouldn't just be forefront this time of year. It should be January, February, March, April, May, all the way through the year. And so, but we look at our world today, and it's everything but the birth of Christ. We, um, we have a family tradition that every year, going back to when William was small, and that was a long time ago because William's not small anymore. He's only an inch away from passing me, and he's only 12 years old. And he has the same shoe, he has the same shoe size I have right now, and he's 12 years old. I don't know, I don't know what we feed him. We're going to have to stop feeding him. I don't know. There's just something. I don't know. We'll see what happens as he continues to grow. But we, each year, right around Thanksgiving break, we'll go to SeaWorld for their, um, Caroline, Caroline loves Christmas. I don't know if you can tell that. She loves Christmas. And so my mom loves Christmas. My wife loves Christmas. So it carries on. She loves the way they decorate it there. And I personally can say through the years, like this year they had, uh, they had this guy that did singing. And he, did it, he has a great voice. But it seems to me that even there, it used to be you would hear at least of the ten songs they would sing during their little show, eight of them would be Chris, Christian ones. And that was only eight or nine years ago. The other day, when we went, there was one out of the ten. Because it's all... And, and I don't expect SeaWorld to do, have a church service, okay? Some of you might think that. I don't expect that. But our world, you know, it's all about decking the halls and jingle bells and jingle bells that rock and things like that. That's what... And snow... And you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout because Santa Claus, he's coming to town. Our world, when it looks at this time of year, is everything but Jesus. And we need to be very careful that we as Christians don't get caught up in all the hoopla and forget what it's truly all about. Some of us get so caught up in everything else and get so busy with everything going on because everybody has to have a party, right? The ladies at church have to have a Christmas party. Why don't the men? I don't know. I haven't figured that one out yet. We still... 13 years of pastoring here, the ladies always have a Christmas party. The men have never had one. So why haven't the men had a Christmas party? Because I literally don't really think about it till right now. But men are just happy. We don't need parties, right? That works right there. We'll just, but it is, but um, you have church Christmas party. You have work parties. You have family get-togethers. You have all these things. And we lose sight what it's truly about. Over the next four Sunday mornings, we're going to look at the book of Luke, and we're going to look at four people, well, three people, and a group of angels. 
And we're going to look at them, and we're going to see what Christmas is truly about. The birth of Christ, what it's truly about. And in all reality, I think someone said it best like this. Really, these songs of praise that are found in Luke chapter 1 usher out the Hebrew Psalms and usher in the Christian songs that move forward for us. Literally, I want to take you back to this day in Luke chapter number 1. We don't have a clue what it was like to be in the world in those days. First off, with all the amenities we have today, right? Just sitting in a chair with electricity, looking at a television, having a microphone, and having plumbing. Do you, know, do you realize what we take for granted every day? We take it for granted because we have it. And unless you lose it, you don't know how great it is. I was at my parents' house a couple weeks ago, and the power went out when I'm sitting there. A lot of things you can't do with no power. Thank God for power. First thing, I'm like, Dad, did you forget to pay the electric bill? He's like, no, I think I did. And then, look, the neighbor's house were out too, so it worked out. It was okay. But we take for granted so much. One of the things we take for granted today is the Word of God. We have it. We have God's Word, and God speaks to us through His Word. In this time, it had been almost 400 years since anyone had spoken the Word of God and prophesied from God. You know what Israel had in the Old Testament? They always had someone proclaiming the Word of God, right? They had Moses. They had Elijah. They had Jeremiah. They had Isaiah. They had Malachi. They had Micah. They had Daniel. They had everyone that would... Pro and God spoke through them. Then there was a break. It's called the end of the Old Testament into the New Testament. It's about a 400-year time span where there was no open vision. So they, they knew, and the priests and things, and the people kind of knew what God had promised. They knew that a Messiah was going to come. And in fact, there are many Jews today that are still waiting for the Messiah to come because they missed him the first time. But they knew a Messiah was going to come, but the world was changing before their eyes. Israel was no longer a powerhouse. In fact, Herod was their king. You go from the days of Solomon and David, and even Saul for that much, to Herod being their king? Quite a difference. Their day they lived, there was no open vision. I believe there was a lot of despair and loss of hope. And that's kind of what happens when God's not moving and working in a society. And was he still working? I believe he was still working. Just like today, we look at America today. You know, the biggest problem in America today wasn't caused by Democrats or Republicans. Caused by people kicking God out of everything. When you take a society and take God out of a society, you have 2023 in America. That's literally what you have. Romans chapter 1 is America 2023. Because we said, God, we don't want you. And you refuse to acknowledge him. This is what we have before us. But in that day, there had been no open vision in a very long time, almost 400 years. We can't fathom 400 years. We think 60 and 65 years is a long time. Imagine 400. That's a lot longer. 
As we look at this passage, we're going to read through the beginning here, and I'm going to make a few comments, and then we're going to get to the theme of the message today. Look with me in Luke chapter 1, verse number 5. The Bible says, and I'm going to give you the background behind the praise, and then we're going to look at the praise. Luke 1, verse 5, And there was in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord blameless. So as we dive in here, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were good people. They did their best to follow the Lord. I'll tell you this, and we can see in other passages and things, not all the religious priests were good in those days. They were not like Zechariah. He was a good man. The um, Jewish tradition tells us that there were anywhere from 15 to 20,000 priests. And what they would do is they all had their time, as about a two-week period of time, that was their time to go do service at the temple. So let's read about these two, okay? Let's keep on reading here. Verse number 7. And it says, And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well, now well stricken in years. Now, in that day, to not have children, you were viewed as cursed. And it was a reproach. Literally, later on in the passage, Elizabeth says, God has taken my reproach away. Because and when we look at it, not, not everyone is able to have children. But however God works it all out, children are a blessing. And God designed it that way. It's a good thing. The Bible talks about happy is the man that has his, and the King James uses, quiver full of them. Whatever a quiver is, you know, someone said, what's a quiver? For my, for my in-laws, that was 13. That's a huge quiver. My quiver's got four, and that's big enough. I don't need a bigger quiver. And so, but children are a blessing. But for them, think about this. They're past the years of having kids, and they're viewed, it's a reproach to them. The Messiah still hasn't come. No one, there's been no open vision in almost 400 years. This is a dark time. And Zechariah is going to do what he's called to do as a priest. Let's read what he does here. It says, And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, so they had a set time they would go, and he did his duties, his priestly duties. Now listen to what it says here. It says um, in verse number 9, it says, According to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went to the temple of the Lord. So not only was it his period of time to actually do the priestly duties, but the lots were cast, and he got to burn incense on the altar of incense. Not every priest ever got that opportunity to do it. There was a lot of them. So they would cast lots. It was a special thing, and not everyone would be able to do this. And to go into there and on the altar of incense, to burn that incense, it was like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And people looked at those, in that day, Jewish tradition tells us, they were revered that were able to do that. And they also had a lot of money, and they were well taken care of and good. This was something, this was not something everyone got to do. So he's in there, and look at what it says. 
Verse number 10 says, it says, And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of the incense. So as Zechariah's inside burning the incense and offering prayers to God, the multitude of people are on the outside praying to God. And what would happen is when he was done doing this, he would come out and tell the people. Well, something happens now that hadn't happened in a very long time. And I don't know how often this ever happened in the temple. So look and see what happens here. It says, And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side. The right side of the altar symbolized favor. So standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. So why would he be fearful? It was not a normal thing to be burning incense in the temple and an angel to be right there. In fact, if things don't go right when you're in the temple and you're in those areas, you literally could die, right? Naab and Abihu were killed because of things that happened, right? He was fearful. And listen to the response of this angel here. And the angel said, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. What prayer? And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Well, isn't this a little bit late? They're well stricken in years. It's, and it's, I'm, he's going to say to me, I'm old. My wife's past that time. Is God late? God's not late. God comes right when he's supposed to. And so in the midst of a dark time in Israel's history, no open vision from God, Zacharias is doing his job in there, and one day this angel appears to him. And instead of coming out to talk to the multitude, he's still inside. And keep on reading and see what it says. And it says, and verse 14, Thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall be turned to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, of Elijah, and turn the hearts of the, of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You know, in all reality, that was one of the last prophecies that was made in the Old Testament. And... Zechariah now is in there at the altar of incense, and this angel's telling him, God heard you, and God's going to deliver. And that forerunner for the Messiah is going to be your son. Now listen to Zechariah's response. Verse number 19, And Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And he kind of makes an emphasis there. In Greek, it's emphasized, I'm old. How is this going to happen? Now, what's he saying? Let's put it in common man's English. I need a sign that this is going to happen. Now, what is the angel's response? Look at the very next verse. And the angel answering said to him, I'm Gabriel. Now we know the angel's name. This is not just some angel. This is Gabriel. Gabriel appears later on to Mary, and he appeared to Daniel, right? Gabriel is a big deal in the angel world, right? But it says, I am Gabriel. 
that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee glad tidings. Let me put it into your terms. Zacharias looks and says, I need some sort of sign that this is going to happen because I'm too old and my wife's too old. And this is what Gabriel says. I'm right here. What else do you need? I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I'm telling you these things and you want more than that? Don't we sometimes do that with God? God, give me a sign. And then God gives you a sign. I need a bigger sign. Give me another sign. And literally here's God says, Gabriel's like, I'm here. You need nothing else. Now listen to what happens to Zechariah. Verse 20. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day these things are performed. Because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. All that took place inside at the altar of incense. Now you need to remember, the people were outside praying too, right? And the people were waiting for him to come out. And so look at what the people do in verse 21. And the people waiting for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. Like, what's taking him so long? It's like I had a wedding here yesterday that I did. It was supposed to start at 2 o'clock. 15 when it still didn't start. When I walked through that back door, everyone's looking at me like, why isn't this wedding start? I'm not the bride and groom. I'm trying to get them to hurry up. It was 2.20 when it started. But literally they're like, come on, hurry up. Where are you at? Zacharias, we got, we got our crock pot full of food. We're ready to eat. We got a meal. We got a reservation. We got this to do. Where's he at? He's taking too long. And then look, he comes out in verse 22 and he couldn't speak unto them. Think about that. So not only is he late to get out there to him, he comes out and, like, quit playing around. Tell us. I don't know what the bigger miracle was, that an old lady was going to have a baby or that the priest couldn't, he was silent for nine months. That's a long time for a priest to be quiet. But anyways, I knew, some, I knew somebody would laugh at that. I knew at least one person would. So all this comes out, and look at verse, and it says there, and they perceived that he had a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked upon me to take away my reproach among men. So, Elizabeth's pregnant. Next week, we're going to look at when the angel visits Mary, and we're going to look at Mary's response of praise to God. But we're finishing up about Zechariah today. So for nine months, and whenever she got pregnant, it could be, nine, it could be anywhere from nine to 12 months, right? Because he finishes his priestly duties. He still can't speak. And then sometime they conceive after that time. And all that time, there's no speaking that could happen. And so as that happens... We see, look with me, keep on looking there, and it's okay, it's okay. Don't you all remember when you were little? And the noises you used to make? Some of you are like, no, I don't remember when I was little. I'm sure we all made noises like that too. And so I feel, I feel bad for parents when they got to get up and go out and do all that good stuff. But, and uh, talking about being, no, uh, Juan, remind me later on to tell you a joke, okay? Remind me later on to tell you a joke. I'll save that for later. And so... Um, now I don't know where I was. No, I do know where I was. That's where I'm like in my mind right now. It's like, come on, Brian, where were you at? You were going somewhere with all of this. Almost a year. 
he's not speaking somewhere in that time. And then Elizabeth bears the child. Skip down with me to verse number 57. It says, Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. That was a common custom in that day, that the firstborn child would be named after their dad. So everyone thought, this is, so Zacharias is the dad, that's going to be the son's name. And look at what Elizabeth says, and his mother answered and said, not so, but he shall be called John. And they said unto her, there is none of thy kindred. You don't have any cousins, no parents, grandparents, no one in your family is named John. And they made signs to his father, how he w- what he would have him called. And look at what it says. And he asked for a writing tablet. Hey, you see right there? The first iPad. He asked for a writing tablet. The first iPad mentioned in the Bible right there. Just kidding. Just kidding. And so he asked for a writing tablet, like some of you used back in school, and you chiseled things and things like that. It says, and he says, and he wrote, his name is John. And they all marveled, like, whoa, why is his name John? So Zacharias still cannot speak, right? He hasn't said anything in all this time. And after he does this, the Bible says in verse 64, his mouth was open and immediately his tongue loosed. And what did he do? He spake and praised God. And look at what it says. And fear came upon all that dwelt round about them. And all these sayings were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. And, they all, and all they that heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. What did Zacharias say? The very next verse goes into what he said. The first words out of his mouth in almost a year. The last thing he said was, How is this going to happen? And what sign are you going to give me seeing I'm an old man and my wife's old? And he's been silent all this time. And verse 67 says, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. He hath raised up an horn of salvation for us, um, in the house of his servant David, and he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which he had, which had been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, that he would grant us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. The first words out of Zechariah's mouth 
were praise to God. And for the next couple minutes, I want to take his hymn of praise that he gave to God, and I want to break it down for you and I this morning. Father, bless the next few minutes that we have, and we need you this morning. We thank you for your love, for your mercy, and for your grace, and we thank you for this passage of Scripture. And I pray that you'd help us pick up on these truths that are found here. Help us apply them to our lives and our hearts. Lord, we need you. Guide us and help us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. No open vision in almost 400 years. A man well past the age of having kids. And God says, sends his angel, you're going to have a child. And he's going to be the forerunner. And he is born and eight, on the eighth day going to be circumcised. And the people are like, his name's Zechariah, right? Like his dad. And Elizabeth says, no, it's John. Because that's what the angel said his name was going to be. And what did, what did Zacharias do? He wrote down, John, that's his name. And he opened his mouth. And I think as he looked at his son and held his son, he offered praise to God for what this meant to the world. You'll notice that twice between verse 67 and then in verse 77, it mentions the word visit. It literally means to personally visit. God didn't just send someone in his place. And a lot of times people do that, right? Like, Barbara, I want to make a point last night. I personally came to your house, and I personally made you dinner on purpose. I wanted you to know that was for me. I personally did it. I could have sent someone, but it wouldn't have been me personally doing it. God could have sent anybody, but he personally came to us in his son, Jesus Christ. And as we look at this this morning... And as we break it down, I see five points here about Christ's coming that Zacharias, he praised God for. Number one, we see that Christ's coming provides salvation for us. Christ's coming provides salvation. See that Zacharias here, he mentions God's saving purpose is found in four ways. We see, first of all, letter A, it's found in redemption. And it says right there in verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. The word redeem means to release from bondage through a payment of a price. God sent his son, and his coming provides us salvation. He is coming to redeem us from our sins. Not only that, but letter B, we see salvation. And you notice that phrase there. It says, and hath raised up an horn of salvation. Now, sometimes in the Bible you hear horn, you think of a trumpet or a musical instrument. This is not referring to a musical instrument. This is referring to a, a horn of an animal, a wild animal. And it would be a dangerous weapon, right? A deadly weapon. It symbolizes both strength and victory as an animal strength was constant. That horn would help do that. And God, through his son, Jesus Christ, was going to bring, he was going to, you know, gourd Satan, basically, pierce him to death, and, and get rid of sin, the power behind it, the horn of salvation. His coming provides salvation and redemption, and salvation let her see in deliverance. That we should be saved from our enemies. And then verse 74, that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies. Christ coming, he came to deliver us. And aren't you thankful for the Lord's deliverance? 
Aren't you thankful for where he delivered you from? I love how Psalm says, He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock and established my going. He's delivered us. He's delivered us from the sting of death, right? He's delivered us from sin. He's delivered us. His coming provides salvation and redemption, salvation, deliverance, and letter E, and forgiveness. To, no, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission or the forgiveness of their sins. Zechariah here is telling us that Jesus didn't simply visit this planet to see how we're doing. He knew how we were doing. He came to save us from our sins. He had a purpose behind it. And that's what Christmas is all about. Christ's coming provides salvation. Number two, Christ's coming fulfills prophecy. And I know that Zechariah believed that God meant what he said, right? But now he's seeing it unfold before his very eyes. You see, as a godly Jew, and the Bible says that he was, Zechariah can't get over the fact that God's long-awaited promises are happening. And he cries out in praise to God, first of all, letter A, because these prophecies were promised by the prophets. And he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. And we could go back to the Garden of Eden, right? The seed of a woman is going to bruise the serpent's head. We could go to Abraham and say, God's going to provide himself a sacrifice. And we could look at, at the long line of people. And we could look at David talking about in Psalms the Messiah that would come. We could look at Isaiah, a virgin shall conceive and give forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus. Micah prophesies that in the little town of Bethlehem, that that's where the Messiah is going to come from. Isaiah says unto us, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Literally, they prophesied about these things happening, and now Zechariah, as he's holding his son, is praising God for the fact that God keeps his promises. Aren't you grateful today that God keeps his promises? I'm grateful he does. There are many people in life that say that they're going to do something and don't do what they say. And even at the best of us, we all don't keep every promise we ever make. But God keeps his promises. And aren't you grateful today that he does? And literally, and maybe there were times that Zechariah, he doubted it a little bit. I don't know. But as he's holding his son, and know his son's going to be the forerunner for the Messiah, he's reveling in the fact and praising God for the fact not only that that babe that's going to come after his son is going to save the world from their sins, but this babe was prophesied about, and it's true and it's right. It was promised by the prophets. In the letter B, it was confirmed or guaranteed by an oath to Abraham. The oath which he sware to our father Abraham. The point's very clear. God's doing what he promised he would do. And Zechariah is praising God for it. And you know literally what he's saying? He's letting us know, Zechariah's letting us know in his song of praise to God that God's going to visit the world in his son Jesus Christ and nothing will ever be the same when he comes. Zechariah's praise to God. We see that Christ's coming brings salvation. 
We see that the, um, Christ's coming fulfills prophecy. We see number three, that Christ's coming brings purpose. Or 74 and 75. It says that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before God all the days of our life. You know, you think about it, no reason for when the angel came to him, right? In the, ta- in the temple there, Mary was fearful when the angel came to her. The shepherds were fearful when the angels came. And what did they all say? Fear not. Because I bring you good tidings. Jesus is coming. That fear can be put away. And you can go today because of Christ. We see a twofold purpose. You say, Christ's coming, there was purpose behind it. He came to save us, and there was purpose behind it to do what? First of all, letter A, sanctification. You say, well, that's in verse 75, not verse 74. I know, but we can only serve him without fear today in holiness and righteousness before him. And you and I, we're not holy enough, and we definitely aren't righteous enough before him. That's what Jesus Christ does for us at salvation through sanctification. And through sanctification, we can, let her be, we can serve him. The purpose behind our salvation, sanctification and serving him. And let me encourage you today, and let me ask you a question. Do you serve him? We're saved to serve. We do, in this life, we serve a lot of people, don't we? And a lot of different things. Do you serve the King of Kings? I would encourage you to serve the King of Kings. If you're a child of God, he saved you to serve him. I think it's important. I mentioned this last service, and it got very quiet, so I prayed about not mentioning it at this service, but I'm going to mention it anyways in this service. But it got very quiet last service. So I don't know why it got so quiet last service. You might know in a second, but I don't know why it got so quiet. We need to serve him. I mentioned last service, I see this happening in our church, and I see this happening a lot in churches. The older generation. Let's put this, let's put this out. If it were not for the older generation, our church would have no money to do anything. Because the younger generation barely gives anything. The older generation would serve and serve and do more and more, but they're getting to the point where they can't do all the things they used to do. So the younger generation's got to wake up to some things, and they need to learn to serve God, and they need to learn to give as well to the King of Kings. Because I, I promise you, I could, we could, I could throw, Russ and I could throw a spreadsheet together and things. This church is taken care of by the older Christians in this room. Most younger might out a little, but there's not much. And I don't know what the, what the pen, and it's got quiet, don't get quiet on me now. You need to serve God and do what God's called you to do. But if, if some of our, the younger Christians and younger adults don't figure out that they need to serve God like the following generations have, who's going to do the work of God in churches today? There will be no one. 
I look around, and it's true all over the place. We could look at Food for Life ministries. Most of the people that serve there are well past their prime. And they just do the best they can over and over and over and over. You're not past your prime, Carla. You're not past your prime. You're, you're right. You're right in the middle of your prime. And your prime is whatever age you are, any of you. And that's what I mean is there's got to be a lot of more, there's got to be younger people that step up in all those things. It has to. It's just like the rescue mission that I help with. The board members there are in their late 70s and all 80s. There's got to be some younger, but people got to be willing to do it too. And I would just encourage you, and I'm not, I'm not trying to guilt trip anybody, but I would encourage you, if we're going to see churches keep going, generations of people got to step up. If we're going to see food pantries and all these different things keep going, younger generations got to step up too, and hopefully they will. But you don't wait till everybody's gone and then you step up. You step up now and do it together, and it's a great way to do it. There's a lot more I could say there, but it's Christmas time. I'll stop there because you already got silent on me. Don't get silent. It's okay. And people, someone said, someone last year they said, Pastor, I only get silent because I get convicted. Then if you just serve the Lord, you won't be convicted, and then you can just laugh and be happy and not ever feel that way. Don't worry, there's one more point I'll give you in a minute that might silence a few too. And then after that, we'll be good. Christ's coming brings purpose. And just, there's nothing greater in life than serving the King of Kings. The joy that we get to serve him. And if you don't understand that, you're totally missing out. Because it is. Are people sometimes a pain to deal with? Yes, they are. But that's what ministry is. It's people, and it's the best part of ministry, and it's the hardest part of ministry all rolled into one. But there's nothing like being able to serve people and being able to show them Jesus. There's nothing greater, nothing better in all the world. Christ coming as we look at this hymn of praise, it brings, salvation brings purpose. Number four, we see that John will prepare the way for Christ's coming. Now, isn't this interesting? And this is the last little thing. I'm going to deviate from the message. But out of his whole hymn of praise and song of praise, he only mentions his son in two verses. And it's all about Christ and everything else. We are doing a disservice to our children today when we make life all about them and everything. Children are important, and we need to take care of our kids. But I see parents and things a lot Everything, everything my kid wants or needs, every sport, everything they want to do, we let our kids do everything they want to do. And you may give them this facade and this idea that life is all about them. John knew better that life was all about Jesus. That's why John later on in life could say, remember when John's ministry started to fall apart because Jesus' ministry was really taking off? If it would be the way we train our kids today, be like, he's not going to, it's all about me, it's not about him. But the way they raised John don't get mad, but the way they raised John, he was able to say, he needs to increase, and I need to decrease, because life wasn't all about him. And that's, and I've held my first baby in my hands. William, you were my first baby? I thought about trying to picture that day. Could I hold you in my arms today? I don't think I could do it. I remember, and those of you that are parents that have had children, when you hold your first child for the first time and you look at them and you see them there's 
I don't, I don't even know how to explain it. And imagine Zechariah praying all these years and seeing his boy and holding his boy. But he knew what was most important. And he put God in his proper place. And then his son. So what did he say about his son? Look at verse 67 and 67. Look at what it says. And you will, you'll never go wrong. You'll never go wrong letting Christ be first in your kids' lives and in your family's life. And then building everything else around that. Look at verse 66 and 67. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way. To give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. We see a couple things that John is going to do. First of all, letter A. We see he'll be a prophet of God. And as Zechariah is holding his son, he says, My child, you're going to be the prophet of God. Not only is he going to be the prophet of God, but letter B, he will prepare the way of the Lord. He says, For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. And then thirdly, letter C, he'll preach forgiveness. To give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of sins. And isn't that what John did with his life? He did. Remember in John 1, 29, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. What was he doing right there? Go back to the verse right before that. Literally what he was doing was the, ver- the verse right before that. The one in, so it's uh, Luke. The last point, let's go to the last point. Luke 1. Now, you went too f- you're going the other way. Joe, I'm messing you up. Anyway, it's verse 77. The last point I gave was he'll preach forgiveness. Letter C, he'll preach forgiveness. What did John do? He gave knowledge of salvation unto the people. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He did what he was called to do. This song of praise talks about what Christ's coming, the salvation he'll bring, the fulfilled prophecies, the purpose that he brings. John's going to prepare that way. And then lastly, number five, and lastly, we see the blessings of Christ coming. The blessings of his coming. See that in verse 78 and 79. It says, Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. What's the blessings? First of all, letter A. He brings light to those who are in darkness. We see that phrase, whereby the day spring hath from on high hath visited us. And it says to give light to them that sit in darkness. The word day spring there day spring from on high, it refers to a new day and a fresh start. Isn't that what the Lord does? He makes us a new creature and old things are passed away and all things are become new. He's light to those who are in darkness. And then letter B, he brings guidance to those who have lost their way. To guide our feet into the way of peace. Nothing like this ever happened in the world up till this point. And may I just say this? Nothing will ever happen like it again. Christ's second coming, it's a totally new experience. And it's a day that I can't wait for. 
but there's never been a day like there was when that babe came. And instead of getting all concerned about what presents you are going to get or what presents you're going to give, or if you got the mistletoe hanging in the right place, or if you got the right Christmas lights up, or if you've got, you know, if you got enough water keeping your tree alive, or if your fake tree, the limbs are breaking on it, whatever the case may be, or worried that your cat's going to climb up in your tree, whatever the case may be. What songs are you going to be singing about your Savior? Deck the Halls? Jingle Bell Rock? I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas? Or, oh, come let us adore him. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. The first Noel. Let's take this time of year and stay getting caught up. And there are traditions and things that you do. I'm all for that stuff. But keep Christ at the forefront. And Zachariah in his day, and we're going to look at Mary next week, they gave praise for what was happening. And I would encourage you to give praise to God for what he's done and what he wants to do in your lives. Father, we thank you for the truths of your word. We thank you.